0: Uh, we, ha- we do have uh, Sandy Nurse uh, on the line with us now. Um, so, uh, there's so much uh, we, c- we could say about Sandy. Just uh, briefly, uh, she's, uh, she was elected to city council last year. Uh, and, um, she's a part of a large new uh, cohort of progressive city council members, many of them uh, women of color who've uh, taken office. And she represents District 37 in Bushwick, Cypress Hills, and East New York. Uh, Sandy was also a protest leader here in New York at uh, Occupy Wall Street and uh, during uh, the Black Lives Matter uprisings in 2014 and 2020. And um, she also uh, founded the Mayday Community Space in Bushwick and BK Rot, an an organic composting service in Bushwick that provided jobs for local youth. She now chairs City Council Sanitation Committee, which oversees the largest municipal sanitation department in the country. What a turn of events. And we're looking forward to hearing uh, from her in in a moment about her first two and a half months on City Council and why she's passionate about her new position as chair of the Sanitation Committee. Among other things, she's leading the fight to reverse Mayor Adams' proposed cuts to the Sanitation Department budget. Sandy, welcome to WBAI Radio.
1: Everyone, thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Hi, John. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, uh, can you talk first of all uh, about what it means to be appointed chair of the City Council's uh, Sanitation Committee and your long involvement with projects related to trash collection?
1: Yes, uh, I'm super excited to be in this position as chair of the largest municipal trash collection system. In the country. And uh, it really is building off of work I've been doing for the last 13 years in um, trying to establish viable, sustainable organics collections systems at the neighborhood level for a long time Um, through one of the programs that uh, you mentioned, John, a project I uh, helped start called BK Rock. Um, Because we we up here in North Brooklyn, in particular in Community 4 and 5, we didn't actually ever have access to the Brown bin program. So um, our community hasn't really had a chance to participate in this, uh, to, to experiment and, and enjoy the benefits of separating our food waste out of our trash. Um, and I'm really excited to, to, to really have this opportunity To think about and and work on trying to get this right in New York City. This is this is an exciting challenge. It it has to be done, it must be done. We adopted many goals. The city adopted goals years ago, zero waste goals that we should be putting upfront investments in. And I'm so excited to really try to achieve this in one of the oldest cities. Uh, that's constantly changing, people constantly in and out, a growing city um, and one that is facing a lot of challenges. So I'm I'm excited to be able to put my brain on this and, and really ensure that all of New York City is able to separate their food waste and that we move towards that zero waste future that I know that we're all going to get to.
2: We wanna hear about that, Sandy, Um, but now let's get down to some details. So what happens after your bags of recycled stuff are taken away by garbage trucks? Where does it go and what is done with it? And then the non-recycled stuff. Yeah, it's, uh,
1: well, the story of New York City trash is very fast, it's very expensive. Um, The public sector alone collects about 12,000 tons of trash per day. It's an uh, enormous amount of material uh, workers, trucks, logistics that have to go into play to ensure that our streets are clean and that our trash is um, taken and, and 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 disposed of. It goes to a lot of places. It unfortunately still goes to some incinerators. It goes to regional landfills, mostly in Pennsylvania, upstate New York, as far as Ohio. It used to go to other countries at different points, but those countries no longer want to take our trash. Um and rightfully so. And it is very expensive. We spend about $440 million of our city budget to containerize trash and send it somewhere else to be dealt with. So it's an enormous system, and, and again, that's just the public sector. Um, the private sector, which encompasses all sorts of businesses, storefronts, big uh, stadiums, giant, giant amount of food waste that is produced every day, uh, recycling, construction debris, There
0: is so much waste that is being generated here in New York City, and it is an astronomical expense for us to uh, deal with it. Mm. And and speaking of expenses, uh, let's talk about Mayor Adams' new budget, or proposed new budget, which envisions generating around $27.5 million in savings by suspending the planned expansion of, of the of the organics uh, uh, program, uh, the organic uh, recycling uh, program. Um, your 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 thoughts on the the potential savings and, and what might be lost?
1: Yeah, it, it certainly is very disappointing to see the program stop and not expand. I think that it's it's an unfortunate scenario. Although the mayor and I agree that the way this program has been rolled out has been very choppy. It's been a start stop. Um, it's never really had the full commitment of the city and the city government in doing it right and investing in it um, and investing in the upfront costs that we need to work on both education, understanding human behavior, and really making it something that is, is has to be done. The mayor is... Um, of course able to get these savings and his argument is that look, these trucks aren't being filled up with food waste. people are not participating in this program and that's true um, but there are a lot of barriers to participation so if you are a tenant and you want to participate in the program and you are within one of those zones where the brown bin exists uh, and if you're a landlord or your building manager doesn't want to participate in it you cannot participate in it because it's not mandatory. This is a voluntary program. And so there's a lot that we could do to prevent prevent folks from not being able to participate. Um, And I really hope that the mayor really understands that these are not negotiables. We cannot negotiate away our future here in New York City. We have to, um, unfortunately, we have to do the upfront investments. They are costly. Um, And we We know that these are hard things to do. Um, Dealing with the amount of food waste that is generated in New York City just within households is is an an incredible undertaking, but just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And when things don't work out, we need to go back to the drawing board and we need to find what is the issue and look at finding the resources to address it. Um, Because the zero waste goals that we have adopted are not something that we can just um, decide to dabble dabble in every other year. We have to have a full commitment from this administration to addressing the climate crisis, to building resiliency, to addressing environmental injustices. And one of the, the most concrete, tangible ways we can achieve this goal is to get organics right. It is, it is not like recyclable plastics, you know, where it's confusing sometimes about what is recyclable and what isn't. Waste is not denied, it's it's undeniable. Take it and you compost it or you process it, it has a product and an outcome that's unmistakable. And so it is a a worthwhile investment for this city um, to do and and not forsake it for short term savings that will hurt us in the long run.
0: Right. Also want to ask you about uh, um, sanitation equity and and the way different neighborhoods are treated uh, differently. uh, last last July, we were uh, joined on our show by uh, Kristen Richardson-Jordan, another one of your uh, new colleagues on city council uh, elected in uh, Harlem last year. And um, uh, she spoke about that as, as one of her concerns. Uh, she ran on, 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 on concerns about rats and trash. And let's see if we can uh, hear from her in this clip.
1: And um my district is very in need of of services of um just basic equity. I mean really basic equity. I mean we the environmental racism has affected Harlem. Uh we actually, you know, see that we have higher asthma rates due to old housing stock and the lack of upkeep of, of NYCHA buildings and also non-NYCHA buildings. And then we actually receive um Just uh, we have less trash cans. We receive less trash pickups and all of that factors into sanitation.
0: Okay. So that was Kristen uh, Richardson-Jordan, new city council member from Harlem uh, on the independent news hour in July. Um, Can you, can you all talk about how uh, uh, reps from different uh, parts of the city are uniting uh, uh, with, with you as the chair of the sanitation committee to fight for sanitation equity?
1: Well, I would just say that one of the things I wanted to mention was that, you know, the civil rights movement and, and trash issues, however, have been very closely tied. I mean, Kristen comes from a district um, in upper Manhattan and further up where um, people used to burn uh, trash in the streets as riots because they weren't getting sanitation, right, the young lords. Um, we saw in Memphis the sanitation workers is, is a big part of the Solorix, um story and so trash and the way trash is handled and which communities have the burden of trash infrastructure and trash uh, systems put in their, in their backyard is a really long, long history and it's still happening. Um, North Brooklyn, the South Bronx, Southeast Queens, uh, communities that are Latino, uh, Black, uh, these are communities that have held over 40% of the waste infrastructure of the city. Um, we hold the transfer station. So those are where the big trucks come and dump it, dump their trucks and it gets sorted out and packed up and put into other trucks that are going further um, with our uh, transfer facilities that are along rail stations. These are mostly condensed into the areas of the South Bronx, North Brooklyn, Southeast Queens there was a bill passed uh, the waste equity law that was passed to try to address this by limiting the amount of waste that could come to a, one of these four communities uh, and there was supposed to be a movement to build a marine transfer station facility in manhattan of course there was a lot of not in my backyard the the you know manhattan got a park out of this in order to accept a transfer station uh, they were to park. That park has been built and no marine transfer station has been built. So what we're seeing is that the boroughs and the different neighborhoods that are more affluent, um, they have a more powerful voice in this city because of the money that is within their communities. The, these communities are able to say we're not having that infrastructure here, whereas our communities um, aren't. And so we need to continue to stay on top of this. I know that organics is like the thing we all want. We all want you know, composting, but we really have to have communities take on their fair share of something that we are all generating. And predominantly, wealthy communities are producing more trash. They have more buying power. They are purchasing things more than our um, folks who don't have a lot of disposable income. So these are disparities that are based along um, Racial lines, class lines, and are not—you know—these are struggles that are that are very present today. Um, in April, we'll be having a hearing on this equity and try to get some updates on on the promises that have been made and, and why they haven't moved
2: forward. Okay, can you tell us? Can people go to that hearing?
1: Yeah, it's a public hearing. It'll be
2: on April twentieth and be on four twenty.
1: <laughs> so.
0: So, so much you know, to celebrate. Yeah, lots to
1: celebrate and you know, bring your bring your testimony first and then go do whatever you gotta do later.
2: Well, tell us, Sandy, about what composting and mm, I don't know, community oriented, I guess, trash collection, but really composting could look like as far as how it relates to gardening and um how that could grow in our city, what it could look like and why it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I, I think New York City is really blessed in having a very active community garden movement, urban agricultural movement that's been here forever and certainly longer than I've been alive. Um, but it's 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 something to be treasured and valued. I think in terms of composting, these are places where mostly volunteers, community members, neighbors who want to do these things have built their own systems to. To make it a reality, make this accessible for their community and their neighbors, which is great, but it's not sustainable, right? And it's not at scale. So your, what your 3 bin system in a garden can do is nice, but it doesn't solve the bigger issue of millions and millions of people who are generating food waste. We need large public work systems that are well-resourced. To handle the volume that we're talking about. I mean, I think it's great if people have a system in their backyard, if you're lucky enough to have a backyard, um, if you're lucky enough to live in a building um, that even you own, or if your landlord is kind enough to let you do it, um, that's great. And community gardens will play a role. They're playing a role for educating people, for people to experiment and understand what it is and, and see the process at a very small scale um, all the way through, these are great education spaces, um, and they sh- they will continue to be a part of this process. But what we need and what uh, is 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 important is for us to think about the scale. We have to collect um, volumes, tons. I mean, you know, there's one visual that I always refer to about imagine a hundred subway cars packed with food waste. That's that's just what the private sector is doing with that on a daily basis. Wow. My right? So that's not going to be taken care of in gardens. That has to be taken care of by no a strong, functioning municipal system that is able to
2: meet the, the goals that I laid out. Yeah, that's the
0: subway, subway train I don't want to be on.
2: And where does it, then what happens to it? Where does it, where does well, it we'll the see this place? stuff is landfill still. I mean,
1: we okay. have a commercial, what they call commercial organics recycling law. Uh, that has come into play, and it is supposed it it comes in uh, into effect in phases. So it starts with very large buildings, and stadiums, convention centers, and then it starts to whittle its way down um, in intervals to eventually to cover all private sector, all commercial spaces. Um, and that can really only take effect if we continue to move forward with things that we pass, like commercial waste zones. Making sure that our Department of Sanitation has the staffing it needs to to oversight, to provide oversight on these systems. Um, But a lot of it's being landfilled right now in the private sector, a lot of it's being landfilled in the public sector um, because we do not have adequate systems to capture separated food waste from our waste stream. And remember, it's about a third of the waste stream. So most, most of what is even put in incinerators is organic waste.
0: Right. Um, we, we have a couple more minutes here, and there's a couple more things we wanted to hit on. Well, one is, uh, now that you're chair of the Sanitation Committee, what what does that mean, and what does it mean to exercise oversight over a, a, a massive uh, entity like the Department of Sanitation, largest municipal sanitation department in the c- country? Um, how, how does that work? And, and, and just for us yeah. on, on the outside yeah of course
1: so what it means is that um, i chair a committee of about 10 folks and we can have hearings every month where we we can call upon the department's leadership their senior leadership or anybody in the agency that we choose to come and answer questions in, in for the, to the public Um, answer our questions, answer the questions of other council members, answer the questions of um, stakeholders and the wider public. And it's meant to be an oversight space. We can use those hearings to ask questions like, why hasn't a marine transfer station been built in Manhattan yet? Or why are we seeing the uh, delays in the commercial waste zones that uh, we're supposed to have bids back from private partners, why are we seeing an an unexpected delay? So we get to go in and ask questions. We can also use that space to talk about the impacts of new legislation, what it would look like, uh, to talk about amending legislation. um, And we can get updates. So we can go and say, hey, what's the status of this? And it's held in a public space a a public space for anybody to come and ask questions, anybody to um, submit testimony. But it's
2: it's meant to be about transparency. Pivoting, one agency that isn't getting its budget cut is the NYPD. Your thoughts on this and the mayor's overall approach to emphasizing policing in the way he does. But first, we're gonna hear him speaking at a preliminary budget review press conference last month. We'll go to him speaking.
0: Budget is going to be basically flat. There may be a slight decrease uh, in the next uh, a few months, but it's basically going to remain flat. That's the number one concern right now, public safety.
2: What would you allocate to new
1: technology for police work, and what are you looking at as far as improving the technology
0: that they are? We'd rather do a better job. Um, I'm a big believer in using facial recognition correctly within the confines of the law. I'm a big believer in that uh, we have technology out there that can define uh, now if people ca- are carrying a gun, we should use that. Uh, we should not le- leave any legal stone unturned to utilize technology to make New Yorkers safe.
2: So that's the mayor on um, first, you know, not cutting the NYPD budget and then on what he plans to do with that money. Comments? Yeah, so I certainly
1: think it was very smart to not go for an outright increase, right? I mean, I think the last couple of years we've seen that there has been a growing national movement that is recognizing that there is there are a lot of evidence-based approaches to addressing violence, the root causes of violence that don't involve armed, uniformed officers, um, and so, I think it was a smart move to to hold, at minimum, hold. Um, and I think the the concern about you know hyper surveillance, technological surveillance. I'm certainly somebody who um, is very, very wary, and, and usually in opposition to increased surveillance and increased, increased technological surveillance. I think it um, moves us into. Um, very challenging places we we struggle just now to without all of this technology to um, protect our basic civil rights to protect our um, freedom of communications and, and information and, and access and adding these layers of um, policing to that and adding new tools to policing really really very it, it, it actually it's it's a very frightening future um, given our lack of ability to hold, these um, departments accountable for, for uh, stuff that's been existing for a long time. Um, I think in general, when it comes to policing, uh, it's, it's no surprise for, for any of my colleagues to hear, but I am very much in favor of always trying to find ways to redirect resources to addressing um, community-based violence. So violence in the home. Uh, domestic violence, gender-based violence, um, working to uh, deal with restorative justice, working to deal with providing more mental health resources and institutions and facilities that are dignified, uh, drug rehabilitation spaces, safe needle exchange spaces. Um, Right. You know, we need to look at the reality. The reality is that there are many people who are, um
0: we we have 20 seconds
1: yeah well i'll just say that's i i think those resources could always go in better directions than um with armed individuals always
0: okay well uh, sandy nurse uh, city council member district 37 thank you so much for joining us this evening on wbai
1: thank you for having me you know wbai is a fave I, i really support you all and independent radio is is, is always the, the thing to stand with.
0: So thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate it. All right. We'll be back after a short break. We're going to uh, have a chance to hear from the Pacifica archives from a, a trailblazing uh, women politician, uh, Shirley uh, Chisholm, first uh, black woman to run for president. And then we're going to hear from another woman who's uh, made a lot of history, uh, Leslie Kagan, longtime peace activist, who's going to Talk about war and peace with us in a few minutes.